You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. I'm your host, Jessica, and today we're bringing you an episode with none other than Susan Patrick, the president and CEO of INACOL. For the past 14 years, Susan has led the international advocacy organization known as INACOL. They seek the transformation of education systems and advocate for breakthrough policies and practices that ensure high-quality learning for all. Their fall symposium is one of our favorite conferences of the year with well-curated sessions on whole-child personalization, competency-based progressions, and systems leadership. In this interview, Susan reviews five global learning trends and previews the 2019 symposium, which is happening October 28th through the 31st in Palm Springs. We'll be there and highly recommend you add it to your fall travel plans. Let's listen in as Susan talks to Tom. Susan Patrick, welcome to the Getting Smart Podcast. It's a treat to have you on. Uh, Susan, remind us of how you got to the uh, the Office of EdTech uh, at the Department of Education. I had been working for Governor Hull uh, in Arizona on policy related to education and technology and um, went to work with John Bailey, who was then the uh, director of the Office of Educational Technology in a series of many uh, excellent ed tech directors across administrations. Um, And when um, John Bailey left, I uh, assumed the role of director of ed tech. Yeah, it really has uh, been a remarkable group of people. Um, Karen, Karen catered was in that role recently. I think Linda Roberts was, uh, was she the first? She one? was. She was the original ed tech director that got the language to create the office and into law with Senator Kennedy's office. Uh, Susan, you've been uh, executive director at iNACOL for going on 20 years now. What's the origin story of, in the early days, it was called NACOL. What, what's the origin story of the organization? The organization. Organization um, that started as as NACOL was created by a, a group of people in um, universities, in um, governments um, across North America, and state departments of ed that were really working to expand access to high quality education through online learning, um, and they were mainly um, public, state, and district in university programs. They started with AP and um, the A to G requirements in California and created an organization really focused on transforming learning for all students that would become NACL. And and the, that was really the focus for, I think, the first 10 years. When I, I joined the board in... Um, when was it? Two thousand five or six? Um, I think around then we started to shift the focus to to blended and personalized learning, and that that was an important area of focus as schools were really trying to engineer their own transition from from print to digital and trying to learn how to use technology effectively. What would you say about that period of time? Yeah, I think people saw promise in the tools that were helping to empower teachers at a distance um, to 
uh, create evidence of that student learning as they move through courses with some flexibility and in time and place and pace, um, how to harness those, those tools um, that were helping teachers uh, better personalize learning in the classroom um, became a real focus between 2006 and 2009. Um, and in 2009, um, which kind of marks the, the beginning of a handful of innovators across the country really trying to think about what, what would a next generation learning model look like that was highly personalized for students, um, that it really empowered teachers with new ways of teaching um, and, and helping kids embrace new ways of, of powerful learning both inside and outside of school, um, really shifted a movement to looking at um, in this decade, uh, or in 2019 now, um, but how would foundations from moving from just seat time earning of credit to actually competency-based credits uh, where students are demonstrating they can show what they know along the way and um, have many um, much more ind individualized learning or personalized learning where all students are held to the same high expectations, but their pathways may look different based on their, their goals and their learning needs to really become um, relevant and, and more meaningful than, than just sitting in a single classroom with a single textbook. Um, uh, so the next-gen learning models, um, they all look different. They look really, the thing they have in common is they look very different from traditional models. INACOL was an important partner um, for the Next Generation Learning Challenges. Uh, was that about five years ago? That was uh, the conversations with the Next Gen Learning Challenges were in 2009. Okay, was the first um, higher ed organization involved in. NACOL was the first K-12 organization involved in. Um, other other partners, um, the Innovation Lab Network at CCSSO and uh, League for Innovation and Community Colleges um, all work together to help um, reimagine what education could look like in You did a fellowship and spent some time in New Zealand and Australia. When was that and how would you summarize what you learned there? Yeah, the fellowship was in 2016. And, and I would say one of the drivers was to build a much deeper understanding of how global education systems were changing, how um, innovations were taking hold that were focused on equity. Um, and, the, and the interest is, it is NACOL and, and then INACOL, um, the I signifying an interest in learning and international best practices and, and also having members around the globe um, help inspire what's possible in education, that um, it, it really became more and more important. We know that um, technology is really constrained by the human design. Um, and so technology offers incredible benefits for expanding access. But if the system itself 
um, is not designed in a way to ensure that all students are successful, then um, I, I would say I feel like I've worked for two or three different organizations, even though I've been at the same nonprofit, because our our shift and our evolution from um, focusing on delivery models and online and blended learning, and they still play an important role. But if the system itself is fundamentally flawed in and designed to rank and sort kids out um, and, and kids out potentially of, of, a, of a future that um, how do we design a system that's fit for the world that we live in? How do we design a system that's going to ensure all students get what they need to reach um, high levels of success and, and future um, health and, and prosperity, which is a very different question. So um, uh, I did an Eisenhower Fellowship in 2016, really studying global education systems change and had the opportunity to talk to leading experts in education policy and innovative practices around the world. Uh, but my main focus was on New Zealand that in 20 years has really um, built an education system with a, a, a balanced uh, policy model of um, setting world-class expectations so that any student has a credential that's backed up by evidence of their work aligned across K through 12 and higher ed, and also globally recognized at the highest levels of excellence. Uh, so, so that was a wonderful opportunity. It, uh, it was, it was fun to watch and, um, it, it's been fun to learn, um, from you in the subsequent years. How, uh, for our audience not familiar with iNACOL, how would you summarize the mission of the organization today? Well, the mission today is really moved towards a focus on how do we drive the transformation of education systems to advance uh, policy um, and breakthrough practices that really ensure student success for all students. So it really is much more about focusing on driving that transformation of our education systems. Let's take a, a quick look at the, the top trends that are uh, driving education globally today. Um, the, I think the first one that we could start with is this idea of being fit for purpose. Um, you talk a lot about that. You've written about that. Um, when you say an education fit for purpose, what uh, what do you mean by that? It's interesting because this is not a common conversation in the United States, but it's a very prevalent conversation in many, many other countries. And that the fundamental question that people are asking is, is the education system fit for purpose? Like, what are the outcomes we hope and see? And the outcomes, um, kind of the conversations globally are more centered on, um, is our education system preparing us for an open and healthy um, and just society? Is it supporting um, a democratic society where um, all people are um, 
all people are being prepared to contribute um, to society, to their communities, and to lead healthy and prosperous lives. And it feels like in in the U.S., we're having conversations about tweaking our existing system and which metrics to use for math and reading and some of the subjects. And those are important questions and context, but we're missing the long game. We're missing the real, what is the North Star? Um, And communities need to have that conversation in the U.S. because education is local, but states also need to have that conversation. So we have to re-engage in that central question around what is the purpose of education and how do we think about how education contributes to the well-being of our society how we interact with each other as people, um, and our, of course, our economic prosperity and growth. Susan, uh, there there are hundreds of districts that have been working with folks like Patel for Kids to reconsider their graduate profile. They're having community conversations about what's happening and updating their uh, learning outcomes. Is that is that work encouraging to you? Is that at least part of uh, this idea of creating a, a foundation of a system that's fit for purpose? Yeah, those are the first steps, and it's really encouraging. I, and I would say from our annual conference that brings together 3,000 people, we saw so many um session proposals around the conversations that communities are having to redefine success Um, it really is the first step for communities to start engaging with all of their stakeholders in defining the purposes of education. And and some people are calling this outlining the profile of a graduate. It's essentially um, in in our federal law, the Every Student Succeeds Act, or ESSA from 2015, um, ESSA asked us to think about Um, What do students need to know and be able to do? And how would you map out a new profile of a graduate? So in other words, uh, we're seeing communities um, start to take on those conversations to determine the knowledge and skills students will need. Um, the, The second piece of it is then asking the question, what would we need to ensure that all students and each student that graduates actually has those knowledge and skills Um, So along with those conversations of redefining what student success looks like, it it builds on to the next crucial question, which is around how do we know that the diploma is telling us that students have those skills when they graduate and those skills and credentials are meaningful? Uh, Another uh, big category of trends is modernizing uh, the workforce. What trends do you see there in educator development and in professional learning? Yeah, there's a real need um, to have our um, teacher preparation programs to build uh, educator capacity for this new future as systems are moving towards more learner-centered models. And what, what do I mean by that? Like the change that we're seeing in next generation learning is really happening from the ground up. Um, And so the need to modernize the teacher workforce um, 
is is absolutely critical. We're seeing schools and districts engaging in design sessions. They're all learning. Um, everybody's sort of learning on their own on their own watch in real time as they're building these new designs. So, how do we um, how do we from um, education policy and education systems start earlier to um, build the knowledge and skills that educators would need, and by the way, in a very personalized, competency-based way, so that they are um, equipped to lead the kinds of transformative roles that they're taking on in creating new designs. So um, the field is is just getting started. There are a, a few universities that are um, beginning new programs to help uh, build skills for educators to lead in these new designs. But too often, um, K through 12 education and the preparation programs are still relying on traditional approaches uh, to preparing and even developing and supporting teachers. Uh, so this is a big this is a big trend, um, and we've really seen uh, programs uh, start to change around around the world. Um, there are some interesting developments in in modernizing uh, how we teach in terms of um, micro credentials and really building up that um, the the competencies, knowledge, and skills that a teacher would need with those core skills learned in a preparation program, but knowing that teaching um, is a profession over a lifetime and that there needs to be ways to um, utilize new learning designs for our teachers and make sure they're supported too. So those micro-credentials are small units of learning. Uh, they usually give teachers the opportunity to have some voice and choice over what they learn and what order some optionality in terms of how they demonstrate their learning. So the micro credentials can be a great example of how you uh, said earlier that professional learning should be both personalized and competency based, just like the environments we're trying to create for kids. Right, right. And, and uh, Digital Promise is doing great work with micro-credentials, as are a number of, of school districts around the country, including uh, Kettle Moraine. If you, you imagine teachers identifying um, their, their core competencies and where they want to learn more, um, the, the teachers are building uh, a portfolio of their own work that is illustrating their knowledge, skills, and strengths and getting the support to really um, build the muscle to shift um, how they do their work and build up the skills um, practices in the classroom. Great example. We have a podcast with Pat DeClotz on uh, micro-credentials in Kettle Moraine, so we'll add that to the show notes. Uh, Susan, number three, a, a big category is uh, what you've mentioned several times, innovating for equity uh, and prioritizing diversity, equity, and inclusion. What, what, what is that work about, and what are you seeing happening globally? Yeah, our our organization um, is is equity driven, and if you think about a fundamental uh, moral purpose to transform education so that every child has what they need to develop their full potential, um, it also involves. Um, really digging in in the education system to look at 
um, institutional inequity um, and strive to disrupt the structural inequities that are driving the systems that we've inherited. And um, working on that education systems transformation means really looking at what practices, what structures, the culture, um, and pedagogies that either um, support high-quality, appropriately designed learning models um, and how um, what we're doing every day either drives um, or doesn't drive equitable opportunities and outcomes. So when we're thinking about our work and this focus on innovation for equity, that is prioritizing both diversity and inclusion, uh, we're asking questions like um, who, who is serving our students and taking a look at the changing demographics in our country and our students. We know that the teacher workforce does not reflect the diversity of our youth. Um, so how do we better diversify the um, people going into the teaching profession? Um, how do we uh, look at strategies that drive success for equity? So we've published a report that outlines equity strategies for educators that are designing new models. Um, it's about high expectations being held for all students. While um, there may be different pathways that are relevant and cultural relevance is, is key, um, that progress might be must be really transparent and um, consistently monitored and reported, so that every student, every parent, um, every educator, and even communities know how well their students are being served. So when we think about an equitable system of the future, um, ultimately this transparency and knowing. Um, how students are doing, having a more robust body of evidence based on student work and their knowledge and skills so that we're holding all students to the same high levels, that there will be better targeting in the education system of resources, investments, and supports to continuously improve, to drive better innovations. But quite frankly, a lot of this boils down to designing learning environments based on the research on how kids learn best rather than this sort of ranking and sorting system that is part of the traditional system that we all have just accepted for a long time. It, it doesn't have to be that way. And when you look around the globe at um, learning environments in K through 12 education, that have rapidly changed to be more innovative, to be more equitable. They are really um, focusing on um, the whole whole child, educating for the whole child. They're focusing on building knowledge and skills um, that are uh, more well-rounded, that prepare students to go into the workforce, into college, but also are deeply um, culturally relevant and um, understand the importance of multiculturalism as, again, the, the um, population of our country um, is multicultural and, and being able to be safe uh, and productive in learning environments that honor all students' backgrounds. 
So as learning environments are are innovating, uh, how, how do we create aligned pathways from early childhood to college? This is a, another um, emerging trend of aligned pathways. But as schools are innovating along the dimensions that you described, how do we how do we do that and, and create aligned pathways that allow learners to progress uh, into the workforce? Yeah, I think we have to take a step back and ask, what could this really look like? Uh, right now, there are a lot of conversations on, well, we have elementary school, middle school, high school, and if you start to earn credentials that are career recognized, um, that may not fit in. It may be completely disconnected from community colleges or higher education and universities. And and so when you ask, how do we create aligned lifelong systems of learning, um, it really does uh, require us to take a step back and say, it could be done differently. Um, and, and this is really from a systems perspective at the state level. So our state leaders, our, our governors and legislators, and those entities that oversee the different levels of education have the power to actually um, focus on what what is the profile of a graduate when we're coming out of high school and be really clear about those knowledge and skills. Um, let's jump over to the career side. Each career and industry um, can have an articulated set of knowledge and skills and competencies. Um, and if you start unpacking our degree programs, um, our bachelor's, our master's degrees, um, this, this is something that I saw in New Zealand. They had articulated um, different levels from level one through level eight, from level eight through level 12. Um, and it's different from grade levels because these levels are articulated for groups of knowledge and skills so you could essentially just start earning the competencies that would be demonstrated that would lead into any of these, um, your higher ed degree, your certification for career and tech, whether you wanted to be um, have earning credentials and skills to be a graphic designer and still go and get a law degree, you can do both. Um, what this what this requires, though, that's fundamentally different from what we have in any state, is a learner profile that expands a student achievement record over time, over a person's aligned lifetime, um, and that's a new idea that that I think people are ready to start thinking about that exists uh, again in other in other countries. So if you have knowledge, skills, and competencies for careers, for all of your degrees, um, and going down into high school, there's no reason why a high school student can't do um, early college and start building up those micro-credentials or credentials um, and end up with a whole range of skills and knowledge that's indicated in their student achievement record over time. Um, I don't know if you saw a recent piece um, across Europe, across the, the, the over 20 countries in Europe. They're, um, they're so aligned in their university programs that you can literally take a course 
um, and have reciprocity with uh, this whole pact. This alignment just takes some collaboration work, and that's, of course, easier said than done, and there are some power structures involved, but it can be done, and I think states are beginning to think about this. Yep. Uh, it does uh, take some leadership, though. Last trend category I'd love to have you reflect on is just how you see schools um, being redesigned based on learning science. No, f- fundamentally, um, when I visited some of the most innovative schools in other countries, I say, "How? where did you get started with the designs? And they look at me and say, well, a lot of the research on the learning sciences for how students have learned best has come out of the United States. Aren't you using this? And um, right now it's pretty piecemeal. So fundamentally, um, and this goes back to modernizing um, teacher workforce and leader workforce, getting much deeper on what the learning sciences tell us students need um, for optimal learning conditions, and then reverse engineering the designs based on community needs, our students' needs, and that research on the learning sciences, innovation, um, again, for equity, but a real culture of inquiry around what would I do differently with the research, what the research evidence base tells me. Um, So essentially, there's no cookie-cutter model for using the research on the learning sciences to build new designs, but it requires pedagogies that reflect um, what we know about this research on how people learn, and that's students and adults, and ensuring that all students have um, learning environments and feedback loops um, and experiences that are powerful um, and that ask for powerful learning outcomes and evidence. On that topic, I'll uh, we'll include in the show notes some resources from iNicol, and uh, I'll add some from Digital Promise. Um, Minerva, a new higher education program, also has a, a beautiful summary of uh, learning sciences. So we'll add some resources to the show notes. Um, Susan, you're coming up on, um, is this the 15th iNicol Symposium, or will it be 16th? It's getting close. I, I think we're at 14 right now, coming up on 15. At 14. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think I've been to, I, I don't know if I've been to everyone. I've been very close, though. Uh, um, it's really the best conference of the year. It's, um, I think it's the most mission-driven around the task of creating powerful learning environments uh, that produce equitable outcomes. So what, as you think about the symposium and um, what have you learned from uh, particularly the, the last five or 10 of these? Well, thank you, Tom, first of all. Um, I just am so amazed from year to year. We, we get over um, 700, 800 session proposals. And to see the shift happening in the field over time, um, what, so one of the biggest lessons learned is there is a lot of energy in the field of K through 12 education in the United States, and and we have uh, attendees from around the globe 
and it's happening. It's still in early stages, but people are really working hard. Um, I think what we're seeing in terms of a lesson learned is, is uh, three or four years ago, people were at really um, nascent um, stages of, of what the idea of what school could look like, how school could look differently. And we're starting to see a depth in, in what people are learning in terms of really shifting curriculum, really shifting on instructional models to go, to go deeper and into changing, um, creating more responsive environments that meet students where they are. Um, School redesign is really important. Um, we're starting to see how districts are making space for that redesign and the importance of autonomy of for principals and for teachers in leading the work. Um, and we're still seeing areas where people uh, struggle. We don't have strong quality frameworks um, in our systems in the U.S. We rely on accountability to not just give us data on, on basic um, reading and math, but we're relying on accountability to do um, our quality control and people are struggling with that. So in essence, in new designs, that, um, that flow of information and feedback that we get from practitioners um, connects back into the research that we try to lift up in um helping educators um, with quality frameworks, with equity strategies, with um, guidance on modernizing educator professional learning. Um, so I'm really inspired by the incredible work that's happening in the field. And yet we um, have a, a, a very steep mountain to keep climbing um, because we're far away from having true equity and and excellence in education to prepare all of our kids. So um, I, I think a big takeaway is where there are professional learning communities where we can learn from each other at different stages, whether you're just getting started or whether you've been working at this for 14 or 15 years, um, it's important to come together and have a place to share knowledge and and find your people. And we hope to provide that. It's humbling. Well, what I appreciate about the symposium is that the, the topics are super relevant for the work that people are trying to do or need to be doing right now. And you also really give care uh, to the uh, quality learning experiences for educators. Um, the sessions are just better uh, designed than the awful panel, blah, 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 that you get at um, most conferences. So I, I do appreciate how you guys sweat um, the agenda, but also the quality of the sessions. Um, what, what should we look forward to at um, the 2019 symposium? It's October 28 through 31 in Palm Springs this year. Yeah, look for big themes around um, whole child personalization, uh, big themes around future-focused education and, and this idea of purpose. Um, are we creating the future makers of tomorrow? Um, and, and look for more sessions on moving from just technical changes to really adapt them 
adaptive changes for systems transformation. There are more than 20 tracks along along those lines on um, supporting educators, supporting our our leaders and the new designs from across uh, curriculum, instruction, assessments for learning, um, and there's an entire policy track too. So uh, hopefully we've um, curated the best from around the country on the future of learning, and there's something for everyone. So go to inacol.org, I-N-A-C-O-L dot O-R-G, and you'll not only find great resources, but you'll find information about the INACOL Symposium, this conference of the year. Uh, Susan, it's uh, it's been a treat to have you on the podcast and um, to have been on this journey with you for the last 20 years. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you. And thanks for all the great work that you're doing and, and all of the support for those in the field that are um, making it happen. I appreciate it. Susan mentioned the Kettle Moraine School District's leadership on micro-credentials. To learn more about that, check out Season 2, Episode 12, for an interview with Kettle Moraine Superintendent Pat DeClotz on building a culture of innovation. Also check out Episode 181 with Jason Lang from Bloomboard as he talks about how the micro-credential revolution is transforming professional learning. A big thanks to Susan for joining us for today's episode. Be sure and register for the INACOL Symposium, and we'll see you October 28th through the 31st in sunny Palm Springs, California. Also, make sure you rate and review today's episode so we can keep creating the content you want to hear and more people can find us. That's it for today, listeners. Thank you for tuning in. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Jessica signing out.